Friends, I am so excited. We are starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount. It is a series that um, has been about four months in the planning, and I want to tell you how we ended up deciding to go in this direction. Somewhere about four months ago, something happened in the world, and it could have been a series of anything that has happened in the world. And one of the members of our church on his Facebook page wrote, I wonder what would happen if people actually followed the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought that was a really good question. I I wonder what would happen if, if people actually followed what was asked of us in the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, we are going to study the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at at what's being asked of us and what kind of transformation occurs through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's going to take us a while. This is is a pretty lengthy series. Um, But I think that there's a valid point here, that if we actually started following Jesus and doing the things that Jesus asked of us, that we would see transformation, not just in ourselves, in our church, but in the world. So I want to test this out with you. This morning, we're looking at the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Would you pray for me, and we will study the Word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity here at the start of a new year. We ask, as we always do, that you would help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you ever get tired of of people telling you what to do? Does that ever bother you? Does it ever happen to you? Anybody ever told you what to do? Stand over there. Look over here. Pay your taxes. Lose some weight. Be on time. It's almost going to be impossible for you to get through life without somebody somewhere telling you what you should be doing. And sometimes it's that very real reality that pushes people away from Scripture because they think Scripture is just about telling you what you should be doing and just adding to your list. If that's what you have braced yourself for this morning, if that's what you came to church for this morning so that you could be told exactly what to do, you need to be prepared to be surprised because today's Scripture is not a directive about what you should do. It is actually a word of grace that is spoken over you for who you find yourself to be in different seasons of your life. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to speak and teach. This is the biblical introduction to what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is still pretty early on in his ministry at this point. If you were to flip back one chapter to Matthew 4, that's where he calls the first disciples, gets everybody going. We have some very early teachings. And now as he's starting to teach his disciples, rather than start at this is what's wrong, here's where you need to be, and telling them what, how they should live and what they should do, instead he starts with where they are. And he starts to make connections between where they are at this particular moment in their daily lives and how the kingdom of heaven intersects with us right where we are. And the kingdom of heaven, he reminds us, operates out of a place of grace. So Jesus approaches us the same way. He starts with where we are. 
It's kind of like if you take a brand new college student and they were kind of sort of thinking about going into engineering. And instead of acknowledging that this college student is away from home for the first time, living on their own, possibly a little nervous, probably scared, uncertain exactly of what they're doing, instead of acknowledging that, you just plop them down in a 400-level engineering class and tell them, good luck, hope for the best. Well, we know that that's a recipe for failure. Jesus knew that too, so he doesn't start with us in that place. Instead, he starts by acknowledging where we are, what we go through, and how the kingdom of heaven's already at work in that. Jesus knows that he can't project a vision for his people or inspire them to action or transformation without helping them to see an identity of grace that's already been given to them, not because of what they've done, but because of who God is. So in the coming weeks, as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see that Jesus is going to lay out some really challenging stuff for us to wrestle with, particularly whether or not we're actually going to follow what Jesus lays out for us and what he's asking us to become. But before he gets to that, he gives us a chance to see who we are in this moment and what the blessings are that have already been spoken over us just, just by going through our daily lives. That's our primary identity. So if you don't get that part, if you don't get the part of understanding that you are a child of grace who is beloved by God, it becomes very hard to listen or follow what God has asked of us in moving towards transformation. So Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to notice a couple things about this. It doesn't say, blessed are those who pretend to be poor in spirit, or blessed are those who work like crazy to be poor in spirit. Jesus just says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So being poor in spirit means recognizing that you don't have it all right all the time. It means that you are aware and can acknowledge that, that you're a sinner poor at mercy's door. It means that you do not spend your days pretending to know it all, be it all, judge it all. And the reason that this is a blessing is because the poor in spirit acknowledge their brokenness. And in their acknowledgement, they're still looking for God. They're still seeking God's action in their world. See, when we decide that we've got it all together, that we have it so perfectly held together, we no longer have any sense of urgency about seeking out God in our lives because, you know, we have it under control. But the poor in spirit are blessed because the kingdom is always before them. They are always looking for the grace of God. What a blessing that is. One of the biggest fears that I always have as a pastor has been for those who are so certain of themselves that they have no room for God. What a blessing it is to be poor in spirit and have space for Christ, the Savior, in your life. 
The second statement of blessing from Jesus is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is not just about someone dying and, and losing a loved one. This is about any time that you might mourn. And that doesn't mean, hear me clearly on this, it doesn't mean that this is a directive that you need to go out and seek reasons to mourn in order to garner blessings. Because the truth of it is that you will experience mourning in your life no needed assistance for you to go looking for it. And where's the blessing in that? Because let's be honest, mourning is, is sorrow. But it's also a place where God has an opportunity to comfort us. Where God has an opportunity to draw close to us and point us to the promise of the resurrection. There is blessing to be found in reaffirming our faith in times of sorrow. Now, we don't typically wake up each and every morning and immediately start contemplating our mortality. But in times of mourning, there is this space, that space for God to draw closer to us, and that is a blessing. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Remember, these are statements of what is, not directives of where you're headed. So before anyone makes it their New Year's resolution to be meek, remember this. It's not a statement of where you might be headed. It's a reality of where you find yourself already. And the problem is that we don't like the word meek because meek is quiet and gentle and easily imposed on. Don't confuse that, though, with weakness. Those who have servants' hearts, they're not looking for power. They're looking to help others see the grace of God. So just because they seemingly hold no power in the way that the world defines it, they are blessed, says Jesus, because their inheritance in Jesus is secure. It's a matter of timing, isn't it, right? If you have everything in this world, but you have nothing in Christ, then there is no future ahead of you. So Jesus reminds us that our inheritance is secure. The next blessed group are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Now I want you to consider this. If you announce that you are hungry or thirsty, you are announcing something that is an impetus for action. Usually you don't just say, I'm hungry, and just sit there and wait for that moment when manna is just going to fall down out of the sky on you. Usually if you are hungry, you are going to take some kind of action to eliminate your hunger. Some people hunger or thirst for things that are not food. They hunger for money or influence. And what they discover is that it's never going to be enough. There's always something more that they want. But Jesus says, if you are hungry or thirsty enough to pursue righteousness, to go after it, then you are going to find fulfillment because you cannot go wrong in the pursuit of doing what is right. Jesus moves on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Of all of the Beatitudes, this one is my favorite. It is perhaps the most beautiful because none of us are perfect. 
None of us are perfect. We are all going to fall short. We are going to have broken relationships. We are going to hurt ourselves. We are going to hurt other people. We are going to have breaks in our relationship with God. Often, often we'll see these news reports of um, mothers or fathers or husbands or wives who will forgive, who will forgive someone who has, who has murdered, killed their loved one. And we should ask ourselves when we see that, could, could we do that? Could, could we forgive? Could we show mercy in that way? And here again, being merciful isn't about weakness. Quite to the contrary, it takes an extraordinarily strong person to forgive such a horrible thing. But the good news is this. God has shown us mercy. God showed us mercy long before we even knew that we needed mercy. And God shows us mercy even in the little things. The greater news is that God will continue to show mercy to the merciful because the merciful understand the power of mercy. One of the things I think Christians struggle with is the idea of forgiveness. And they struggle with it. They cannot forgive other people. And what that reveals is a condition of, a, of the heart that says that they don't fully understand that they themselves have already been forgiven. Jesus moves on to the last section of, of blessing statements. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now notice, again, this is not a statement of work that you need to be doing. None of you will be able to walk home and say, oh, okay, today I'm going to be pure in heart. Instead, it is a statement, a reflection of reality of some of those who are amongst us. It is not a coincidence that children are so close to the heart of God. Nor is it a coincidence that Jesus so heavy, was so heavily protective and invested in little ones. Because children see God in vivid colors. And if we're honest about this, adults, that's something that we struggle to cling to. Children, they're not born with prejudice and hatred and stereotypes. Those come over time. What children are born with is wonder and joy and optimism. And those things diminish over time. They're often replaced with criticism, judgment, skepticism, all things that impair our vision of God. But here's the good news. The good news is that there are moments in life, and usually, usually those come near the end of our lives, when through no real work of our own, we move back towards a place of purity of heart and we can see the God whom we have ignored and pushed away with greater clarity. Another group that, that Jesus pulls out are the peacemakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. He doesn't say, he doesn't tell us how to become children of God, but he says that peacemakers are children of God. It is, it is a product of being a child of God that you would move towards being a peacemaker. People are, who are peacemakers will be recognized as children of God on the day of judgment, 
And what Jesus says is they will be welcomed into the heavenly home. They will be adopted as the sons and daughters of God. And so what, what is happening here is that Jesus is looking at our present situation and the challenges that come with it, and he highlights for us future blessings, even more so in these last two blessing statements. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It cannot be stressed enough that these are not, these are not actions that you are being called to fabricate or falsely generate. Nobody needs to leave church today with the intention of ticking somebody off for Jesus. Don't do that. You don't need to seek out persecution as a follower of Christ because trust me, if you are really following Christ, persecution will find you all by itself. If you, it will find you when you go to apply for things, as you seek to influence the world around you, as you build your social community. The way that you follow Christ is going to interfere, intervene, and change all of those things. There is nothing that you need to do to pursue or generate persecution. Instead, you need to know when, not if, but when it happens, that there is a blessing for you, for you in eternity, that your eternal life is secure, that whatever is persecuting you right now is a temporary situation, and that God is pulling you towards something greater that is going to last far longer. All of these statements are statements of blessing. They are not conditions of salvation. They are not roadmaps to earn you entry into God's kingdom. They are Jesus speaking grace over us. Think about that. Imagine a baby in a crib, right? Little tiny baby. We have lots of them around the congregation. And it's evening, and we're getting ready to put them to bed. And these parents stand over them. And they speak words of grace that fall on these children in beautiful ways. Those first words of grace. That's what the Beatitudes are. They are Jesus speaking words of grace over our lives. The love of God for us in spite of ourselves before we even do a single thing that would attempt to earn it, God loves us first. And out of that love, we have blessings. That's our starting place for 2018. In all things, good and bad, we are blessed because God loves us first. And in our challenges, we have opportunities to welcome in the kingdom of God. The reason the Beatitudes start here is because until you understand the grace that is spoken over your life, the way that you are loved more than you could ever possibly imagine, you will not be able to hear and receive 
and be transformed by the words that are going to follow it in the Sermon on the Mount. But once you know that, once you know who you are as a child of God, blessed and loved because of who God is, not because of what you do, until you get there, you won't be able to take big risks and do hard things. Hard things like actually following Jesus where he goes. Things that might make you uncomfortable or, God forbid, change or transform you. So we start out. We start out this year by knowing that we belong to God, that God loves us. Now, where that takes us depends on t- entirely on how far we're willing to follow Jesus. So are you willing to follow him? We're going to find out. Let's pray together. Holy God, remind us at the start of this new year that we are yours that you have spoken blessings over us long before we could understand, earn, and most certainly deserve them. We ask, Lord, that you give each one of us a place to start, a firm foundation of knowing that we are yours forever, and that in the coming weeks, we might be inspired to follow you in such a way that it transforms our lives, our church, and the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen.